welcome to another Breakthrough Research Podcast episode. I'm Marjorie, here I am again. I'm a senior lecturer in artificial intelligence at Sheffield Hall University, and I'm again hosting today's episode. The Breakthrough Research Podcast is supported by the Industry and Innovation Research Institute at Sheffield Hallam University, and we are going to give you an insight into the work that we do. On your lunch, in the morning or evening, we want to be there on your break. Screens down and tune in to learn so much more about not only new and exciting research, but also the people behind it. So today we have here with us Dr. Catherine Duckett. She's a principal lecturer in analytical science. She's also part of the Center for Mass Spectrometry Imaging, Bioanalytical Research Group, and Biomolecular Sciences Research Center. Wow, this is a lot of big names, so we will know all about that. She's also a public engagement STEM ambassador, so we are going to explore that as well. Welcome, Catherine. Good afternoon, Marjorie. How are you? I'm good. So, in order to comply with social distancing, we are making the recordings by digital platform with simple equipment that we have at home. You might even, you know, get extra help from small children and pets, so you can imagine that we are having this chat just next to you. This episode that you are listening was recorded on the 16th of March, 2021. So, Catherine, it's all about you today. So, we want to know, how did you end up working at Sheffield Hallam? Well, I had um, maybe a slightly unconventional route into academia. So, I worked for a number of years, uh, seven years, in the agrochemical and pharmaceutical industry um, and obtained my PhD. And I felt that there was perhaps something missing from my my day-to-day -day role as a, a senior scientist. And I wanted to be a bit more challenged. And I had ideas about things that I wanted to do, but it was difficult to have that freedom in an industrial setting. So I looked at academia and I hadn't really considered it before, but I thought about perhaps becoming a lecturer I might have some research time as part of that role. So I started off at a different university in Staffordshire, um, had a number of years there, then some time with um, a, another university in the Midlands until I've ended up at Sheffield Hallam and I started in 2013. So I've been here eight years, quick quick maths there is that correct eight years right so you, you had experience in industry which is amazing and it's very you know important for Chaffee Holland since it is an applied university you know so can you tell us a bit about the area of your PhD and you know the area that you work now is are they the same since you have been Chaffee Holland for you know eight years but you have experience before so how much has changed in your area of research so I have it, it has changed. My research profile has changed. The, the focus of my PhD was very much around developing um, instrumentation, a particular type of mass spectrometer, and developing how that instrument could work for lots of different applications, um, pharmacological, toxicological, and, and medical. Um, when I worked in industry, my research took a back seat for, for a long time, because that, that wasn't the focus. I worked in drug development, so 
um, research wasn't wasn't a focus of what I did day to day. So when I came back to academia, I started again, and I what I did was I tried to sort of make my my knowledge about this instrument, this sort of working knowledge and knowing what it could do, make it fit into lots of new applications that fitted at the different universities that I worked within. So I've adapted my research or what I use my my tool for, if you like, to explore different things as I've changed in those different institutes. Cool. You mentioned something uh, called mass spectrometry. Can you explain to our listeners what it is? So mass spectrometry is a quite fancy, I think I can say that, quite fancy and expensive piece of instrumentation that is a key feature in many scientific research labs these days around the world. And it allows us to interrogate the the makeup, I suppose, or the, the contents of a, a mixture, or it could be a, a drug, or it could be blood or urine, um, as to the molecules that are within it. So we can find out a little bit more about um, perhaps the concentration of a drug, or we might be able to look for markers or what, what we call biomarkers of disease, for example. So these types of instruments can be used uh, for lots of different applications, but becoming really, really important in, um, in clinical, in that clinical setting and in understanding disease and disease progression. Very interesting and very techy. So your role in using mass spectrometry is not necessarily using, but designing it. Can you explain a bit more of what is involved in this process? So there's, there are options with mass spectrometers to have um, different things, um, I suppose, connected to them or associated with them. So we may be able to do um, some separation work, what we call chromatography, before using a mass spectrometer. Um, we may need to think of the different ways that we collect a sample um, or free up a sample, if you like, before it moves to the mass spectrometer. So there's lots of different things or sort of, again, pieces of instrumentation at the front end of the instrument that we have to think about and that we can adapt and we can change. Also, we have to think about our types of samples that we have and whether they're appropriate for that instrument. So I have a particular niche um, instrument, which is called an inductively coupled plasma mass spectrometer. And this is, again, going more niche with these, these types of mass spectrometers. So my uh, background is around working with that type of instrumentation but it could be in a liquid mode or it could be in a solid state mode so we can use a laser to now allow our sample to move into the mass spectrometer so lots of different fancy pieces of kit we can have just before and connected to that instrument that mean we'll get the, the best information from our sample. Sounds like a lot of fun and can you tell us, uh, can you tell our listeners, uh, so you are a principal lecturer in, in analytical science and you work with mass spectrometry. So can you tell us, our listeners, what is involved into, you know, getting the data or the samples into the, the equipment and then what is your role, you know, as being a, an, analy an analytical scientist? So as an analytical scientist, 
I'm interested in the the fine detail. So I'm interested in all the, the sort of nitty gritty, I suppose, of our of our samples. And I might be interested in the amount of something that I'm looking for, or I might just be interested in knowing what it is that's in my sample. So we may prepare a sample and we may use a technique called laser ablation. So we use a, I keep using the word fancy, but we'll use a fancy laser in order to free up some sample. It may be from, for example, a, um, a tumour, a, a, a cancer a biopsy sample in order to free up some of that sample and move that into the instrument uh, where we're able to um, interpret the signals that we see. And with what is quite often quite overwhelming amount of data and numbers that we export into some imaging software, we're able to reconstruct an image of that tumour, for example, and we're able to look at where certain um, important um, molecules, where they're located. So in particular, for this particular type of instrumentation, we use this for elemental analysis. So I'm interested in where we see different trace elements within that sample. So if you picture the periodic table, which you, you may have, you may have uh, seen or come across before you can picture the periodic table and all those elements that we know of in the world that are present naturally I can look within a sample and see where those elements are where they're concentrated areas of interest and we begin to understand which of these trace elements or trace metals we sometimes say are important to that particular disease that we're investigating so it sounds like you you can you know make breakthroughs you know related to you know drug design and vaccines and these kind of things isn't it can you tell us the potential impact of this kind of research in into society for instance so what we need um to do is we work with other scientists so within our center for mass spectrometry imaging we would be working with other types of um, um mass spectrometers as well to produce images that tell us the story about molecules so whether that would be proteins for example and then we can relay that image in relation to where the metals are that we're interested in and start to think about the relationship between those at different stages of a disease so what we want to be able to do is work back to the really early early stages of a disease and see when we start to see those changes and when would a sort of therapeutic intervention, you know, drug intervention, when might that be helpful? When do we see the very early stages of this disease um, showing itself essentially? Um, whether that be in a, I've, I've mentioned tumor, but it could just be in looking at something in our blood or something in our urine. So, particularly with cancer, obviously if we can catch this at much earlier stages, then that becomes really impactful for society, but as with other diseases as well. So I um, look at other diseases with, with different PhD researchers within the research institute. Um, so another one we look at is uh, macular degeneration. So that's a degenerative eye condition that we see in people as they age. and um, obviously 
loss of sight is the the end point with that disease but if we can try and understand what the really really early stages of that in terms of symptoms what that looks like and and perhaps in where we might be seeing other signs within biological fluids or biological tissues if we could save someone's sight then that outcome is is quite immense so it's about trying to see lower levels of things much earlier on that's I suppose as an analytical scientist that's what I want to know. Wow that's fascinating well done I'm very very proud of being your, your colleague here so yeah let's hope you keep doing what you, what you are doing. Talking about PhD students I didn't mention listeners in in the beginning in the presentation but Catherine is currently our postgraduate research tutor for the Biomolecular Science Research Center. So she looks after all the PhD students in that area. Can you tell us, Catherine, a bit more of why, what is this role of PGRT uh, and why did you decide to, you know, take it? Yes, so I look after about 40 PhD students we have and, and the role is everything from that recruitment stage through all the different um, parts of assessment that the PhD students do and their progression also thinking about their professional development and what we can offer them there all the way through to um, submitting their thesis and their viva and then hopefully one day graduating and being on the, on the stage again <laughs> so that that's and that's certainly something we've, we've missed in, in the recent year so it's seeing it's seeing a really incredible journey right from where people are applying from for PhD studentships to being awarded their doctorates and going out into some really quite um, well, quite powerful um, scientific roles um, that a lot of our PhD students move into. Um, the attraction for me was more about the pastoral support, and um, because PhD students are are just our people like the rest of us and we all need help at various points in our life um, with things that we might have going on little hiccups in life along the way so the attraction to the role which I've been doing for nearly four years now I think was was about um, being a, a supportive figure for them so not being part of that supervisory team or the the scientific uh, content of the PhD or you know the research but a different face that students PhD students can turn to and ask ask questions or just have a conversation which has been this year really really important in terms of supporting them. Yeah I think the COVID situation uh, took us all academics to a different level of kind of mentoring and supporting these students and I'm sure they all appreciate your hard work Right, so let's go back to Taik, uh, uh, Catherine. Can you tell our listeners, why did you decide to study science? I think, well, I think I was always quite curious. I don't know what I was curious about. I didn't know that it would end up in this, where I am now. Originally, I was very interested in animals and zoology. So my initial undergraduate degrees that I looked at were around um, zoology. Um, and I suppose now with my research, coming back to look at um, 
disease and organisms and there's, there's quite a, a strong sort of biological content now to what I do but along the way obviously I've, I've become a, a chemist um, along the way so in the end actually I didn't go to university full-time to study my degree I did uh, an apprenticeship so I was employed by a local chemical company just in the village where I worked uh, where I lived with my parents at the time and I did my degree uh, one day a week um, so what I thought was a local chemical company was actually a global <laughs> very significant um, pharmaceutical company but of course I, I growing up I'd just known it to be um, you know the chemical company at the bottom of the road um, so yes I went to them for an apprenticeship and so from the age of 18 I was I was working in a laboratory all day every day and so I don't I think from that point I was never going to go back away from science it can be very enchanting enchanting I hope all all of you can you know hear the passion that Catherine is showing in this in her response so we talked about you know your research and your work with PhD students but we are after all you know academics so we all deal with undergraduate students admin staff stuff in the universe and everything can you tell our listeners what would be your favorite part in being academic overall and what will be your least favorite? So my most favorite part of being an academic is being face to face with the students. So I think still to this day, although I now do, I now do less of this as, as the years have gone on, is being in the lab with students. So doing those laboratory classes with not you know not huge numbers of students we have we have really good um um numbers when we run our lab classes just up to 30 students with would be myself and maybe a phd student supporting me and some technical support as well but those lab classes are probably the the best part of the job so we do our lab classes are quite long lab days so there'll be six hours in the lab with those students so it's really getting to know them um, so that's that's the best bit. Obviously, we've had some changes this year and, and restrictions on how we, how many of those we've been able to do and, and how we've done them. Um, the least favourite part is well, is sometimes those difficult conversations that that can be upsetting when students are really struggling, when they really can't get their head down, can't find a quiet place to work, problems at home, and and obviously everything that's happened this year with with COVID, hearing difficult conversations from, from those students who might be upset, that's, that's, that's not the best bit. Um, but that, that will continue, we'll continue to support students where we can with that. Well, I would quite like to become professor at some point. So that, I, I have a sort of age goal in mind for that, but I'm not, I'm not saying that, <laughs> I'm not saying that here. Um, I, have, I have three daughters. I'm a single parent with three daughters and I think my main aim is to make them proud. That's all really. That's my main aim. And and that doesn't mean obviously become a professor, it, but I think they see how fascinated I am with bits of my job. And and certainly that I spend too many hours doing it. <laughs> but but that that's that's the main thing for me that they and if one of them would be interested in science that would be a good outcome I think but they're they're a bit too young at the moment wow what a what a powerful statement isn't it me as, as a woman in science as you are I, I couldn't you know uh, agree more that the fact that you have three young 
female, you know, young daughters that are seeing all the work that you put. It's it's amazing, and I'm sure they will, you know, value that deeply. And and getting, you know, that uh, that point uh, and talking, I would like you to talk to our listeners about your work, you know. With public engagement, one of the things that I told our listeners when I introduced you was that you were, we were a STEM ambassador. Can you tell our listeners what a STEM ambassador is and what kind of you know activities do you do? So we have um, a scheme at the university, as, as many other universities do and, and other organisations, where you can enrol and have training to become a STEM ambassador, which would mean you go out to schools, or science clubs or maybe um at science at festivals doesn't have to be a science festival but at local or national events and you show off i suppose um some aspect either of your research which can sometimes be challenging to adjust to um, the audience the right age group but really it's for me it's about any any aspect of science so I've, I've done stem events public engagement events before where i've been more focused on things like anatomy and physiology and i've i've just done those events with colleagues um you know just with slightly more background than the audience but you don't have to be a you know the world's expert to be able to stand up in front of children and show them all the bones of the human body for example or um looking at um sort of bits of, you know, bits of anatomy or talk about um, sort of microbiology and viruses and things like that. So, so I think what we try to encourage is that, you know, you don't, you don't have to be, as a, an ambassador, you don't necessarily have to be talking about your very niche area, because that is sometimes hard to, to translate to children. But expanding interests in science generally is part of that role as an ambassador so i do often find myself putting my hand up for things that are a bit outside my comfort zone but but means that i am learning as well myself yeah and i think on top of that you know the the, the work just by being there as a woman in science it's a strong you know um message for young children especially young girls that you know, the, the the sky is the limit, and not even the sky is the limit. They can do whatever they want, including working in science. So excellent! Congratulations. I do a li I do myself a little bit of, you know, public engagement and STEM ambassador work, but we never do enough. That's that's how I feel. So we are moving towards the end of our chat with Catherine. I'm sure you are all in love with her, you know, <laughs> level of passion of for what she does. But can you tell can you tell us, Catherine, what you do when you are not working? Well, this this last year, I think we we can say has been quite intense in terms of work in for anyone in higher education or or education. Um, I have I think managed to go out for a run every now and then. I do like I do like running. I'm not um, I'm not a an expert, and I'm, I'm I'm probably never going to run a marathon, but I do. I do like going outside for some fresh air and going for a, a jog. Um, I don't need to fit that in a bit more. Um, yeah, my three children take up a lot of my time, but I also, I'm also a guide leader. So I have a local girl guide unit um, in the village, which I've been um, helping with since I moved uh, to this particular village, but I've been a, a guide leader 
for 23 years actually so I've been hopefully in some way influencing um, young women about science I try not to do it at every meeting <laughs> but um, I've certainly been um, been there sort of uh, singing its praises for for quite a long time so I'd like to think I've I've um, you know given given those those young girls um, some thoughts about different careers they could try so I think that's probably it running my children and girl guide with the level of work that we had the workload increase last year I'm, I'm amazed that you managed to fit all those you know activities your children obviously they would be one but yeah everything else congratulations it's just amazing and then my last question for you Catherine is can you you talk about you know different ways that the university works and then they you are involved but can you tell our listeners if they got they got interested okay they want to work with mass spectrometry or they want to you know research new drugs or they want to they are a company and they want to engage or they are children and they are in school they want to know more can you tell them how to get in touch and what would be you know the possibilities in a very uh you know simple way so i think um what the the sort of the, the pandemic has, has shown us is that there are certain careers that or certain um vocations i suppose that will always be needed um and my very strong feeling as as many of my colleagues would say is that if you can choose a science or more than one science at any point in your um decisions about you know gcses and a levels or btech or whatever it is you may be doing or even a science apprenticeship if you can keep your science going i think you'll find that there'll be more doors open for you going forward in life um i think we can be certain of that now um and also the other side of that is obviously the the caring professions so so nursing and anyone working in the nhs so i think um that would be where i would sort of it, you know it's 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 difficult to say you know following let's say i don't know the arts or something like that is is not right because i know people are very passionate about uh, these subjects but i think there's going to be some roles which will need filling in their multitudes um until the end of time so i think if you can stay with a science subject um, and show that show that interest to your your science teachers really early on, and go to public engagement engagement events and science festivals and university run events uh, that we have every year um, ourselves at Sheffield Hallam. Then hopefully we'll keep that keep that interest interest going. Wow! Yes, with that last message, I think we have to you know thank Catherine for her time and her, you know, sharing of experiences and, you know, talking about her research. So well, we hope you enjoyed our break time podcast. Thank you, Catherine, for joining us. Thank you for, you know, being with us today. Thank you for having me. It's been wonderful. See you next time where we'll be meeting with another of our researchers or academics. So screens down and tune in. You won't want to miss it. Goodbye.